You are listening to the online edition of Voices from Other Lands with News Plus Radio. I can't wait to be in the bird's nest and see people from all around the world competing. Luke's laughing. I think that's going to be sexy. Wanting to come to China for a really long time. You know, lead me to and along the Great Wall. From all over the world to post about. Here I am. It's like a dream come true. That's the moment. Got the true Olympic spirit. Voices from Other Lands. Voices from Other Lands. Shaping ideas into stories. This is Voices from Other Lands. I'm Yunfeng in Beijing. The world of opera has plenty of Western stories, but an Oriental story, the Chinese classics "Dream of the Red Chamber," is expected to be premiered soon next year. David Gockley, general director of San Francisco Opera, is managing the project. Seventy-one-year-old David Gockley is a living legend in the American opera scene. While other major U.S. companies have stumbled financially of late, San Francisco Opera has largely kept its balance in treacherous economic waters under Gockley's leadership. Before San Francisco Opera, Mr. Gockley spent more than thirty years at Houston Grand Opera, a younger company that became a powerhouse of contemporary American opera. Recently, Mr. Gockley was invited to attend the NCPA World Opera Forum in Beijing. After the meeting, voices from other lands found time to talk with him on producing the opera of the Chinese classics and how he manages to bring operas closer to everybody by showing them in ballparks. Welcome to Voices from Other Lands. You're here this time for the、uh, World Opera Forum. Yes. I know that it's not your first time. To come to China, what's new about China in your eyes?、Uh, the National Performing Arts Center. The last time I was here, it had not opened. The progress that it has made in eight years is a miracle. Of course, the the building itself, the the complex, is a miracle. But China, for years, had the reputation. Of building buildings, what is new here is not only the Performing Arts Center as a building, but the company. And what I heard last night at the performance of Sunrise was a mature orchestra, a mature chorus, a wonderful, technically secure production, and a.、Uh, A story is a great story of 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 Chinese culture, and I was very very moved by what I saw.、Mm. What you saw last night is a Chinese story. Yeah, and I was told you are going to、uh, make a Chinese story, the Dream of Red Chamber. That's and right, and we did an opera on a Chinese American topic. About six or seven years ago, called the Bonesetter's Daughter, after a novel by the Chinese American woman Amy Tan,、mm-hmm. and it was a huge success with the public, specifically the Chinese American public. And so I have been looking for a follow-up work that is culturally important to our Chinese people in the region. An organization that is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 
suggested to me the dream of the Red Chamber. Their purpose is to introduce Chinese culture to Americans. They said we will help fund a commission of an opera on Dream of the Red Chamber, and it was a new title to me. And I spent all summer of 2012 reading that huge number of volumes, mm -hmm. five volumes, you know, 2,000 pages, whatever. And You read the whole book? I read the whole book, believe it or not. Wow. Mamma mia. I didn't finish it myself, <laughs> but uh, yes, please. But it was clear that we would have to uh, distill the piece in, into a three-hour opera where the high spots were the beginning of the romance of Bao Yu and Dai Yu and the coming into the picture of Bao Chai, the, uh, the different kind of love uh, offered by each woman uh, to uh, the, our hero, the murder of Bao Yu's uh, sister, who is the lead number one concubine of the emperor, mm -hmm. and the political uh, intrigue that brings down the Jia family, uh, the suicide of Dai Yu, the uh, follow, following the marriage uh, where uh, the veil is hides that uh, Bao Yu's mother has uh, chosen for him to marry uh, Bao Chai and he realizes that, that uh, when the veil is taken off that it's Bao Chai, not Dai Yu. Dai Yu commits suicide and uh, Bao Yu becomes a monk realizes that uh, life is a dream. And, and I made sure that I had a Chinese composer, although he was trained in the United States, Bright Shang. He suggested we bring David Henry Huang, a Chinese-American playwright who is um, very well thought of, to create the libretto. Huang put me in touch with Stan Lai mm -hmm. and said that Stan is the best director in the Chinese language. I, I believe him. And Stan put me in touch with Tim Yip, the designer who we in America know from Crouching Tiger, mm -hmm. Hidden Dragon. And I asked, why didn't I see any tigers or dragons? And he said they were either crouching or hidden. <laughs> and so we have this team that is now at work. The opera is half composed. There will be a symposium at the Hong Kong University at the end of this month, mm -hmm. June 29, 30, and July 1, uh, that will uh, speak to how this team uh, has conceived of the opera and, and is beginning to conceive of the production. You're listening to Voices from Other Lands. The guest today is David Gockley, General Director of San Francisco Opera. 
Earlier in the show, he talked about his plan to bring the Chinese classics "The Dream of the Red Chamber" onto the stage, and he succeeded in bringing people from all walks of life, especially the young, back into the opera houses. Well, the economic downturn started in 2008. It's still not fully recovered, and yes, we did suffer some downturn. But in 2011, we had a remarkably successful ring cycle,、mm-hmm. sold out. We have had some productions that have been not successful, some that are successful, but are not so popular with the public.、Uh, and we've had productions that are successful artistically and with the public. And、uh, we have managed to stay financially. Okay, we have built our endowment fund to 175 million dollars, and of course we we do not get government support. We depend upon private donors, and our ticket prices are high. But we try to have programs where younger people can、uh, find it easy to afford. Encourage the young people to come. Encourage. The regular people to be interested in new things,、mm-hmm. spread the word by such activities as opera in the ballpark,、mm-hmm. which is coming up two days from now, on actually a little more July third, and we get about thirty thousand people. This is a really new thing to classic opera viewers. Yeah. <laughs> To have such a large audience in the ballpark, yeah, this is your idea. It's my idea. Is is the first time? I、uh, we've done now nine of them. Already? Yeah. Nine of them in the last nine years. Yeah. Every year. And in in eight years, one year we、oh, did、yeah. two. Wow. So, and you, you every time is the marriage of Figaro? No, this a marriage of Figaro's this year. Last year was La Traviata. And we try to get a a very popular opera because that's what new people and younger people are interested to see in their early attending. You know, people sometimes say what young people want is new, modern, cutting-edge opera, <laughs> and my experience is that's not true. They want to they want to see. Figaro, Bohème, Carmen, Traviata, Rigoletto, etc., and have a their experience with opera beginning with one that is really successful, compact, not you know five hours long, and if we can win them over、uh, and get them to develop the habit, of, you know. In their young lives, coming two or three times a year.、Um, my my theory is that we can get young people to come when they have children.、Mm-hmm. They get married and have children. They go away from us for fifteen to twenty years, and then they come back when the children leave, and they have made some money. And have time on their hands, and they say, "What what should we do?、Mm-hmm. Um, should we go to baseball or opera?" 
and I hope they say both. <laughs> because now <laughs> you're combining them. So it was the original idea, combining these two interests? Uh, I like sports a lot. You know, the, the, uh, the great thing about this stadium is this huge jumbotron. It looks small here, but it actually is, is plenty big to convey the opera. And we, are, we pick it up on 11 cameras mm -hmm. that are our own media studio. And we do close-ups. And, and really, the, the experience becomes quite intimate, even in a big space. Mm -hmm. And you have to guarantee the hi-fis, the audio effect. The audio uh, is uh, sophisticated. It, it has been successful. Can you tell more about the original story, you know, when eight years ago, how did you come up with this idea? In Houston, we did outdoor videos mm -hmm. in front of the theater. Uh, when I came to, and they were very successful. Uh, we didn't have this space. We could have 7,500 people uh, there. So when I came to San Francisco, I said, where should we put this? Where, where can we do this kind of thing? And we, we didn't start out mm -hmm. at the ballpark. We started out in a park near the Opera House. And we, we had about 8,000 the first year, 9,000 the second year. But I don't know whether you know, in San Francisco can get very cold mm -hmm. and damp mm -hmm. at night. And people were coming and, you know, wrapped up and freezing. And, and, I, and at the same time, the ballpark was putting in this big new screen. Here, the wind and the dampness are cut off by the, uh, these great grandstands that wrap around here. And uh, you look out over the bay and you see this big image. And so we tried it. And uh, the first opera we did was Samson and Delilah. And uh, it's not the world's most popular opera, but at least the story is known. And we got 23,000 people. And the first time? The first time. And what they have to do to get in is to register online mm -hmm. with their email. Okay. So you know what we have. We have a way to contact them. Yes. And so... Do they, they have to pay? No. At all? No. Wow. That's really the first trial. They pay by giving us... They, by, let, by letting us know who they are. And then we can follow up with them. Uh, and immediately when they go home that night, on their computer is an offer uh, to attend an opera in the Opera House for 50% off. Sure. And uh, half the people take us up on that offer. And then we offer the same discount uh, for as many operas as they want to attend in, that, in the year following their attendance. So we try to give that incentive to make opera a more regular part mm -hmm. of their activities. If you could see it, you, you would be shocked at the age level 
all different kinds uh, of people, kids, tattooed people. What can I say? And then after Samson and Delilah, we did Lucia and we went higher. Uh, we did Tosca, we went higher. Then we did Aida, of course. And we, we topped off at 35,000 people for Aida. Last year, uh, 28 for Traviata. And uh, Marriage of Figaro, I would expect 25, mm -hmm. maybe. In San Francisco, so many will come out mm -hmm. um, that are more than other cities, I don't know. It's a very popular location, convenient location for public transport. Mm -hmm. um, they have good hot dogs. <laughs> Voices tell us stories. And stories from afar can bring new ideas and thoughts. Voices from Other Lands brings you stories of real people and how they think out their lives today. You think opera could be and should be a, a part of life. You bet. So how did you live the life with the opera? Well, I, I grew up loving to sing. And um, I was conscious in the background that there was opera, there was opera singers. We, we had opera singers on television. And there were movies that had Mario Lanza. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, when I decided I wanted to become an opera singer, I had never seen a full-length opera, but I quickly did. I went to Boston from Providence, Rhode Island, where I was in college, saw an opera, and I began seeing many of them. And I try, it was the beginning of trying to be a baritone mm -hmm. for six years, but it did not work. Uh, and I went to Columbia Business School, and uh, that was a two-year program, and I got an MBA in finance. I didn't know when I started what I want, where I wanted to go to work. I just wanted to have an income. I, I wanted to work mm -hmm. and, and support myself. But about halfway through, I said, hmm, I could use this all this knowledge of opera and this knowledge of business and work for an opera company or symphony or whatever. And uh, I learned that Houston uh, had an opening and I applied for it. And I moved from New York where I was living at the time to Texas. It was a different world. So hotter. Hotter, you know. Uh, a lot of cowboys and yeah. uh, Mexican food and uh, a different world, a different world. But it was uh, a world, a city that was growing, mm -hmm. uh, fueled by the energy business. And they wanted to uh, establish good assets in the community so people were very generous so we went from a budget of four hundred thousand dollars to a budget of ten million dollars uh, in a matter of five years and it was uh, growth potential was tremendous mm -hmm. and then uh, we had a couple of groundbreaking 
experiences, we decided to produce a production of Porgy and Bess mm -hmm. in 1976. And I had been there at that point for about four years. And it was a huge success. We took it to Broadway. We took it on tour around America. We took it to Paris. We took it to Milan. We took it to Japan, blah, blah, blah. And that convinced me that my career had to be giving stature to American opera and commissioning new works, putting the greatest of Broadway into the opera house, telling America's stories in the opera house. And later you decided to move to a new land. Right. It, the West Coast. <clears throat> I had been in Houston for 33 years as general director, 35 if you count the two years before I was appointed general director. Uh, it had kind of gone as far as it could, Houston. My family, my children had grown up and I was newly divorced and I said, why not take this opportunity and create a new life. Mm -hmm. So uh, I went out there in January of 2006, uh, and I've been there now uh, nine and a half years. It was a good, good move. Well, could you talk a little bit more about why is the divorce? Uh, well, this was my third marriage. First marriage ended because my my wife, who I'd met at the Santa Fe Opera when we were both singers there, moved to Europe. She got a contract in Vienna, mm -hmm. and distance proved to be a big uh, problem. Second wife of 24 years, mother of my three children, uh, that was an unhappy divorce. Uh, and then I married a younger woman who after 18 months said she'd made a mistake. So I found myself to be single and uh, I was interviewed by the San Francisco Opera Search Committee and mm -hmm. they chose me. Do you think you're living a dramatic life like an opera? Uh, sometimes uh, it, it seems very, very dramatic, uh, you know, changes in life, uh, marriages, divorces, but in general my, my professional life has been stable. I, I have felt so fortunate to spend my life in this world uh, and every time I hear the music, I go into the theater, I see the curtain go up, I, I feel the audience uh, applauding and being appreciative. I say, how can I have a better job anywhere? But not, not so many people could have the opportunity like yours. I feel very lucky. And if you like to encourage more to follow your suit or to enter this world, what yeah. would you say? I mean, I hope when I stop working that I can <coughs> help with younger people encourage them, uh, you know, certainly to like opera, but also to seek opera as a way of life. Thank you very much. All right.
You have been listening to the online edition of Voices from Other Lands with News Plus Radio.